This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The meeting between President Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin. In my opinion, the meeting shouldn't have happened in the first place. Putin has done nothing to deserve sitting on the stage with the most powerful man in the free world. That's Bill Browder. The Russian government has issued seven red notices to, as Bill Browder puts it, to capture him and kill him. They never give up. Vladimir Putin has given an order, which is to try to um, get me back to Russia so they can kill me. And Browder says the summit was a gift for Vladimir Putin. He's been actively involved in sabotage, funding bounties to kill U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. His hackers have been hacking American pipelines and meatpacking plants. Um, They've been interfering in political campaigns and elections. They've been assassinating enemies abroad and trying to assassinate enemies at home. So Putin is just lapping it up, thinking, okay, I've done all this terrible stuff, and now everybody wants to have a summit with me. The full conversation coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The Biden administration says the Putin sit-down was an opportunity to address directly a series of near-term issues in a relationship that officials say has grown dangerously toxic. We've asked on several occasions to speak with National Security Council officials and have been denied or ignored. So we reached out to several internationally known experts to get their views. Gary Kasparov said the meeting put Putin on top of the world. Anders Oslin from the Atlantic Council said Putin's smirk says, I know how to get you. And our guest today, Bill Browder, says it was a big mistake. We've talked a number of times over the last couple of years about your situation with Russian intelligence and the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin and all of the things that they've been engaged in, which have impacted you personally, which led to the founding of the Magnitsky organization. Um, And I want to talk about that in a minute. But the first thing I'd like to ask you to do is to give me your thoughts on the meeting, the, the summit between President Biden, U.S. President Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin. In my opinion, the meeting shouldn't have happened in the first place. Uh, It it was Putin has done nothing to deserve uh, uh, sitting on the stage with the most powerful man in the free world. He's been actively involved in sabotage of funding bounties to kill U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, His hackers have been hacking American pipelines and meatpacking plants. Um, They've been interfering in political campaigns and elections. 
They've been assassinating enemies abroad and trying to assassinate enemies at home, taking over countries. This is a country, this is a, a president of a country who is a malign influence on everything in the world. And and it makes no sense to me why he would we would have validated him with this with this um, summit. And so I think it was a bad idea to start out with. And I think it was a real win for Putin. He, he walked home. He didn't give anything up. He came home to Russia um, and say, saying to his people, look, I'm as important as the U.S. president, whereas President Biden came home and he had nothing to show for it. Do you get the sense in listening to what the Biden administration said, they, they, they're they saying this was important to do because they were they wanted to meet face to face with him uh, and to tell him exactly what it was that President Biden wanted him to know. Do you get the sense that that actually worked out? No, he he um, uh, he knows he knows what, what what we want and what we don't want. There's no mystery. You can make 10 bullet points send him over by fax and be done with it. There's no reason hmm. to have a meeting with him. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I, I think that the people in the Biden administration that were behind this summit are the same people who are working uh, in the Obama administration who are part of the reset. And these are these this sort of perpetual resetters always trying to like <laughs> make nice with Putin. There's no, there's no nice to be made with Putin. He doesn't do nice. You're the guy, if there's anybody... Certainly one of the most high-profile people out there that know better than anybody else what you just said is absolutely true. And I think you're right about the, the people that actually maybe set this up. Um, there are a number of people from the Obama administration that are in, the, in certainly in the National Security Council and other places, uh, in the administration, State Department, etc., um, so what do you think is a fallout from from doing this, uh, aside from Putin going home and, and, and being essentially championed as being on the world stage with the, with, with the U.S. president? What's the fallout for the U.S. and everybody else that uh, the U.S. Uh, is aligned with? Well, the main fallout is now the Europeans are trying to do the same damn thing. Um, Merkel and Macron now want to have a summit with Putin. And so Putin is just lapping it up, thinking, OK, I've done all this terrible stuff and now everybody wants to have a summit with me. It's like totally the wrong uh, message to send to this guy, which is the, the message is that you should be isolated and, and shunned, not engaged and, and fed it. Yeah, you're exactly right about, um, at least from a, a media point of view, it, it certainly seems like these other countries are rushing to do the same thing. And I just wonder what the outcome of that is going to be. But let's get to the heart of, of why we want to talk to you. You've been a target. Of Vladimir Putin. You can speak better about that than anybody else, at least that's alive. Uh, obviously, nobody that isn't alive can speak anyway, but um, you're alive and you've you've survived several attempts to get you in custody. What's the latest on their efforts to to try to find you? Well, they're, they're, um, they never give up. Vladimir Putin has given an order, which is to try to um, get me back to Russia so they can kill me. And um, They've made numerous attempts through Interpol, through uh, extradition requests, through lawsuits, through all sorts of different things, because they want to get me. They want to bring me back to Russia. They don't ever stop. And uh, and so uh, the only the only benefit I've had through this whole COVID is that I haven't been traveling. And so when I'm traveling, it's easier to get me than if I'm sitting in one place. And so uh, but, you know, now that the world is waking up and now that I've got business to do in different places, it's back to the same old 
you know, crossing borders, wondering whether the next uh, border I cross, there'll be another Russian Interpol uh, notice waiting for me. You know, I follow your Twitter feed, and a lot of people do, because you have a couple hundred thousand people following you, and you talk a lot about yourself and what you're doing and, you know, you know the, the threats against you and a lot about Red Notice and your book and, and, and your efforts. Um, you talk a lot about Bill Browder, but one of the things that you talk more about is uh, Sergei Magnitsky and the Magnitsky effort. Um, and that is a, a, a serious, brilliant effort to bring people to justice around the world that spend their time trying to make lives miserable for other people, for good people. Uh, and you've been going systematically from place to place, getting countries to uh, sign on to this. Where does it stand right now? So just for your listeners, the Magnitsky Act is a piece of legislation that freezes the assets and bans the visas of human rights violators and kleptocrats. And it's something that's turned out to be an extremely powerful tool because it really it targets them specifically and only doesn't target the rest of the country. And most of these um, uh, dictators these days um, uh, do their crimes at home and keep their money abroad. And so all of a sudden it puts them in a real great risk. The Magnitsky, the Magnitsky Act now exists in 32 countries. We have it in 27 countries of the, United, of the EU, United States, UK, Canada, um, Kosovo, and Montenegro. Um, and we're, we're um, uh, uh, on the heels of getting it done in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and Taiwan. And the most exciting part of that is, is that the, the countries that have it are now starting to run these coordinated efforts. And, and the first effort, coordinated effort we saw was with China, that all the major countries um, got together and sanctioned the Chinese officials involved in the uh, concentration camps and genocide in Xinjiang. And um, that's an extremely powerful move. And, and my hope is that this, this move will be replicated in many other situations going forward. And it's also been used very recently in the uh, uh, situation on Belarus, with Lukashenko and his regime after they took down that passenger plane and, and took, took these two young opposition journalists into custody. Yeah. And so um, uh, I think this is the, the future of international... Um, uh, human rights law uh -huh. is go after the dictators and the kleptocrats, leave everyone else alone, coordinate, and get every and, and have every country where these people would want to have their money or want to visit get involved and say nope, can't come here anymore, and uh, nope, money's frozen. And I think that will have a very powerful deterrent impact. Yeah, I want to talk to you a minute uh, in in a minute about 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 uh, Belarus. But first, I want to ask you, um, as I mentioned, I follow your your, your social media and you, you you quite often talk about efforts in some of the countries that you have been working to get to adopt the Magnitsky Act, uh, efforts to stop it, efforts to to derail it. Uh, where are those efforts coming from? Well, there's two places. Um, uh, the main place is they come from the likes of Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, you know, the, the two big nasty dictators of the world who um, don't want to have their assets frozen. And so, for example, the Russians, um, every time, uh, you know, they, they tried to, to have the Magnitsky Act stopped in America. They tried to take Sergei Magnitsky's name off of the Global Magnitsky Act. They sent Natalia Veselnitskaya, the Russian female Russian lawyer, to Trump Tower in uh, 
2016 to try to get Donald Trump to repeal the Magnitsky Act. So that's one that's one sort of group of people. Julia Billet. Sorry about that. Can, can we start over? Yeah, just pick up with your just pick up with a statement. Yeah. Um, that, so that's that's one place where the, where the um, where the where the, the effort comes to derail it. The second place um, is is that there are a lot of people in the what I call the bureaucracy of foreign ministries and the State Department and other places where that don't don't want don't want to um, uh, uh, you know don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to offend um, people who who might you know create trouble, and so. For example, in Australia right now, we um, we're almost we're at the cusp of getting an Australian Magnitsky Act, but um, uh, an article just came out in the Sydney Morning Herald, which describes that um, some bureaucrats in the Defense Department are saying that they shouldn't have the Magnitsky Act because they're afraid it'll upset their defense relations. And my response to that is, well, how could it how could it change any relations with anybody having the legislation? Sure, you know, if you sanction people, that could could affect relations, but you can decide later who you're going to sanction. But to get the law in place, that, that should be a no-brainer. Yeah, you know, um, I have to wonder at the end of the day, um, you made a lot of, you, you've had a lot of great success with this so far, but I have to wonder at the end of the day, because of that success, have the people or the organizations that want to stop this redoubled their efforts to do so? And have you seen the worst of what they could do to try to stop it, um, and, and and I'll ask that question: um, What have have you seen efforts, um, more significant efforts to stop it? Um, uh, the the answer is that the efforts continue, but oftentimes those efforts um, create they backfire. So if someone takes a step too far, yeah, and um, and does something too radical, then it just it, it just firms up everyone's position. And so we saw that a lot with Putin. He was trying to stop it in every different way. And the nastier he got and the stupider he got and the more brazen he got, the more people ended up wanting to do it in in in, in different uh, parliamentary and lawmaking bodies. And so, I, I, so I, I, in a certain way, um, uh, we, we have a, a, a situation where the best advocate for the Magnitsky Act are the dictators because they, get, they always step too far. You know, one of the things I'd like to ask you specifically about that, um, you know, is <laughs> the U.S. The U.S. has already adopted uh, some fairly strong language against against Russia, and there's the Magnitsky Act out there that's doing a, a big international piece of dealing with with Vladimir Putin, but nothing really seems to impact him. He seems to. Uh, he seems to be like Teflon. Everything seems to just roll or, or, or just just drip off of him. What's what is the way to deal with him? Well, so first of all, I don't think you can say that everything rolls off of him. He's just playing a poker game and keeping a, a straight face. He hates these sanctions. He's made it. He, he's furious about these sanctions. He's made it a single largest foreign policy priority to try to repeal the Magnitsky Act. And so that tells you something about how upset he is by it. And it's also very difficult to say what he might have done if the sanctions hadn't existed. I mean, it's it's um, you can never measure what someone didn't do because of something. You can only measure what. Yeah. Would you please pick up with um, it's very difficult to say what he might have done. Or... Yeah. yeah, it's it's also very difficult to um, to say what what he what he might have done that he didn't do because of sanctions. All, all we can say is what he uh, I mean, it, it's it's um, 
this the same actually let me back up um sure it's also very difficult to say what he didn't do because the sanctions um were in place um we can only measure what he what he has done and of course he has done some terrible things but he might have done a lot more terrible things had these sanctions not been in place had there not been a consequence uh for this type of uh, behavior but the most important thing and i think we're at really early days into the magnitsky act is that in order for this to be really effective, you got to figure out who to sanction. So if you put the wrong people on the sanctions list, of course that's not going to have an effect on Putin and other dictators. And in my mind, the most important people to put on these sanctions lists are the oligarchs who are the people holding Putin's money. And Putin values money more than human life. He's ready to kill for money. And, the, and he doesn't hold any money in his own name. He holds in the name of oligarch trustees. And so... If we sanction the right people, the people the money met, um, that that will definitely stop him from doing stuff. And and it's real easy. I think that you know it, if, if he hacks another pipeline, you just go go to the Russian Forbes list and and sanction the guy at the top of the list and say any you know the next thing that you hack, another one goes, and you just keep on working your way down the list. He'll stop very quick. There won't be any more hacking. Yeah, dirty money. Uh, there is a, a gigantic problem in the UK, and I know that because you have talked about that before. We're starting to see something like that here in the U.S. I don't think it's just started. But give me your view on this dirty money that seems to be a very big part of what it is that um, the the Kremlin is using and, and Putin himself, I suppose, uh, to run this operation that allows him to continue to do what he's doing uh, without without being punished for it. Well, so be between 1999, when Putin first stepped into the um, Kremlin as the prime minister and then became president in 2000, until now, Putin and the thousand people around him have stolen a trillion dollars from the Russian state. And I'm not exaggerating. That is the amount of money they've stolen. And that kind of money, when you start spreading it around, um, creates a lot of incentive for a lot of people who have weak moral principles. And and so there are places in the world, and I live in one of them, I'm in, living in London, and I think Lon London is the money laundering capital of the world, and there's a lot of people here who have um, uh, uh, survived, thrived, become wealthy, um, laundering, managing money, managing reputations, doing work for these people who are representatives of Vladimir Putin. And... Um, as long as these Western institutions and Western individuals and people who are part of the establishment are sort of profiting off of this and there's no consequence for them doing that, um, then it's going to be very difficult for us to um, really rein Putin in. And, and at the same time, because all their money is in the West, it gives us this enormous leverage, this crazy leverage that we never had before. It wasn't like the Politburo was doing this stuff back in the Soviet days. You know, the, the, the fact that they, these guys keep all their money in the West is, is their Achilles heel, and that is where our opportunity is. Yeah, you know, that is, that is something that has been, I, I would say, the main topic that I've had discussions with people in the national security uh, and the foreign policy community about in the last several months, uh, this, this, this dirty money. And certainly when we looked at the last election in the U.S., and we looked at the activities that took place after that election, certainly on January 6th, and looked at some of the actions that inexplicable 
act- activities that politicians uh, have have taken since then. You know, a lot of people point to there has to be a money connection. I can't say I don't have any proof of that, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, it's it's um, hard to know exactly who is doing what to whom, and and uh, uh, I think it needs to be properly um, investigated and elucidated, and and uh, and I'm sure you'll find all sorts of you know the Russians love when we're fighting with each other and they throw fuel on the fire. So I would be, you know, in fact, I, I even remember um, that there was a couple Russians arrested in on January 6th. Yes. So, you know, um, anytime you find some kind of major incident like that, um, it would be pretty hard n- not to find the Russians at least throwing fuel on the fire. Yeah. People in the U.S., Mr. Browder, are swallowing, uh, not not a majority, but there's certainly enough people here swallowing RT and Sputnik, hook, line, and sinker, everything they say, because they don't really understand that it's disinformation. Efforts to inform them about it, uh, at some at some juncture, a lot of people began to think, oh, well, I can't really trust these folks in the U.S. that are telling me that this is disinformation. Does it seem to you that Russia succeeded with this disinformation operation in the U.S., if people are thinking that way here? Well, it's 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 hard for me to say because I, I look at RT and everyone I know who looks at RT just sort of laughs and thinks it's a joke. But you know, I don't. Um, but I'm not friends with the people who, who watch RT, and so it's hard to, hard for me to know whether it's getting through to anybody. Um, what I do know is that um, uh, in the U.S. and various other places, uh, they're starting to lose their sort of argument that there are just news stations instead of being propaganda outlets and and being treated as such, but it's um it's kind of a flaw of our western system that you know we we value um diversity of ideas free speech etc well um this is this is the downside of of all the, of all of our freedoms is that these people can come in and and uh, pretend they're legitimate and spread disinformation and so it's a it's a hard it's a hard um hmm. question to answer because you don't want to have sort arbitrarily having somebody decide um you know certain people can talk and other ones can't um, of course, I think that, that these Russians shouldn't be able to talk, but the moment you go down that, it's a very slippery slope. Yeah. You know, you talked a minute ago, a little while ago, about Belarus, uh, and I wanted to get some thoughts from you on uh, Lukashenko, what it is that he's doing, why he's doing what he's doing, uh, and where that where that's going, because it seems to me that there's not very much that he could or would do, certainly in terms of hijacking a plane without Vladimir Putin knowing and perhaps consenting to it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, for, first of all, um, Vladimir Putin and he are, are, don't start out as friends. I mean, he's been a real pain in the backside of Putin for a long time, and he's try, all, always um, trying to extract money from Putin and so, and so on and so forth. At the same time, Putin cannot see Lukashenko fall. Um, it's, that's so. So from a symbolism standpoint lukashenko is he's been around for i think 27 now going on 28 years as a dictator and the the belarusian people don't want him anymore they want him out and putin cannot allow him to lose to lose power um uh sort of by the people because if that happens it's contagious it'll jump the border for sure putin knows that the russians will say well god they got rid of their 27 year old dictator we can get rid of, rid of our dictator who's been around for 20 years and and Putin knows he's next, and that's what he's most afraid of. And so they're kind of bound together by their, their illegitimacy. 
And Putin will do a lot of stuff to make sure that Lukashenko um, doesn't create this terrible precedent that he would then be subject to next. And so Putin is all over the place. He's got his KGB in Belarus, their military advisors. And, and as far as that plane goes, um, you know, the, I, I don't know what they did in terms of bringing it down. But afterwards, when, um, when, when uh, uh, France and other countries were, were banning Belarusian airlines into their airspace, the, the Russians were then banning Air France. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Russia and Putin having operatives all over the place. You were talking the other day about Chad. Um, and we know that they've been active in the Central African Republic because because of the death of some very um, well prominent now names of journalists that we learned that died there, uh, investigating uh, what um, Prigozhin's mercenaries were doing there. Um, how widespread is this net that the people connected to Putin and the Kremlin have set up? So, so Putin, um, he, he doesn't have huge resources um, to have a, I mean, his army, his military budget's 90% less than the U.S. military budget. And you know, his country is a relatively small country. The economy is the size of the state of New York. And so, but at the same time, he wants to be a, a major player. He wants to be on the same stage as, as President Biden. So the way that he can exercise his power is very cleverly um, he, he does uh, asymmetric stuff, you know, asymmetric attacks of pipelines and hacking elections in, in America and UK and Germany and so on. But he's also really smart. And he's looking around and saying, where, where are we in the West not paying any attention? And we're not paying any attention to like all the Af all little African countries. And, and so he goes in, there was this unbelievable story about how um, the Russians went in and funded and paid money to every different presidential candidate in Madagascar so that, that whoever won was beholden to them. Yes. And like, you know, are we thinking about Madagascar? No, we, we you know, no one's paying any attention to Madagascar. And are we thinking about Chad? Well, I, I wasn't until I saw the story about 10 Russian, quote, tourists arrested in Chad. Yeah. You know, I, I remember that uh, Madagascar thing because the dossier center with Mikhail Khodorkovsky's uh, operation uh, uncovered that, uh, and the Central African Republic thing as well. And you're exactly right about that. Um, they're playing this game. It seems that, you know, we're distracted with something else, and certainly here in the U.S., we're still kind of wrapped up in what happened on January 6th, et cetera, et cetera. Meantime, all these other terrible things are taking place around the world. And so uh, I guess before we go, I'd like to ask you, uh, what's the solution to ending this, or is there, does this end? The solution is real simple, that, that you make life really miserable for him for doing bad stuff. And the way you make it miserable is by going after his money. And the way you go after his money is by going after the oligarchs. And, and he'll behave himself. It's as simple as that. And, and, and we have the huge leverage to do that. And, and it's a total lack of leadership that we don't use this leverage that we have. And we're all trying to have summits and talk to him and trying to convince him to behave himself when you have to play hardball with this guy and, and hit him where it hurts with the money. Have you told this to the to the uh, Biden administration or anyone connected to them? Um, I, I have not, but it's not it's not, not rocket science, and, and it's not something that I know you need. No, not Everybody... that. No, not 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 that they don't know this. But I'm saying a prominent voice like yours. I know Gary Kasparov said something. Yeah, he says the same. He, he says the same thing, and 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 Mikhail Hordakovsky says the same thing, and Vladimir Karamurza says the same thing, and anybody who is is has been on our side of the barricade knows exactly. 
Uh, Alexei Navalny says the same thing. All of the major opponents to Putin, the dissidents, the, the people who have been around, understand this. And it's it's just plain as day. And the fact that we have these these um, people who are sort of educated with like concepts of 30 years ago, it's like working on an IBM PC when you have uh, Apple iPhones. It's, you know, the, the old concepts of like sitting down to have nuclear disarmament talks. That's not what Putin cares about right now. He cares about his money. <laughs> yeah. Last thing. You said to me some time ago when we spoke um, that um, the real the real thing here is he needs to stay in power in order to get in order to, to reap the benefits of that money, because he there are a lot of people that kind of hold that money or have access to that money. So if he is out of power, he doesn't get that money, which is another reason why he's so uh, dedicated to making sure that Belarus doesn't fall and continuing to do the other things that he's doing. And so it won't be easy, though, to, to, to shut him down with the Magnitsky Act. Clearly, you've, that's been proven with all of the resistance. But uh, this is something you have to continue to do. Uh, what's new? What's on the horizon uh, for this effort? Well, I mean, the main thing is, uh, and, and we'll see what happens, but the, the U.S. is talking about doing more sanctions on the Navalny case, and, and Navalny has been very, very uh, adamant about the key people to be sanctioned are the money people. And so let's see if the, if it, let's see if the money people start getting sanctioned. I think it, I think that that once once it starts happening, and and once you know the U.S. government gets a taste of this, it'll start becoming more commonplace. And once it becomes more commonplace, then we have a real uh, chance of of having a proper uh, you could, then, then you can have a summit. <laughs> Once we've sanctioned the top 20 oligarchs and he's begging and begging to, to be unsanctioned, then we have some leverage and a discussion to be, and then, then we can talk about the things we want. Yeah. Bill Browder, you always bring some, some very harsh and um, very welcome and um, very astute light to some of these issues that deal with Russia, the U.S., and the rest of the world. So thank you again. Thank you. That's Bill Browder, architect of the Magnitsky Act. It's named for his attorney, Sergei Magnitsky, who was killed in Moscow after he challenged the Russian government on corruption issues. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, we've asked the U.S. government, the National Security Council and others in the White House if they would talk to us about various issues related to Russia, and we haven't gotten much in return. A few lines in an email here or there. Certainly no follow-up and definitely no interviews. That's it for this episode. We'll be back with another next week. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. We'd like to invite you to... Follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, subscribe to our podcast, if you will. And if you want more national security information, you can find me in my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And-
And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.